Hi, I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're, we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Um, today we are talking about the 1942 movie, Now Voyager. And... Um, Usually, I would um, offer a synopsis for this movie, but I feel like we're just going to have to unpack it from beginning to end because <laughs> I can't even really tell you what this movie is about. The short version <laughs> is it's a movie that stars Betty Davis and um, Paul uh, Henried, whose name I still don't know how to pronounce correctly. I don't either. I was glad you were doing it because <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to say that. Um, but it also um, features performances with Claude Rains. Mary Wicks is in it. Um, there's several other people who um, who were big actors at the time um, at, in 1942 when this movie came out. Um, it was uh, um, the music was done by Max Steiner, who also did the music in Casablanca. Um, it was produced by um, Halby Wallace, who also produced Casablanca. Um, and um, so we'll, I'm sure, get into some other additional Casablanca connections. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> a lot of similarities yeah. with themes. Yeah, but it's about um, Betty Davis and, and Paul um, Henry eventually meet and fall in love on a boat. And the love boat. And some things ensue. So. Yeah, it almost felt like it was three different movies. Yes, yeah, at least three different movies. Because there's sort of the the opening with all the family conflict and and, and uh, Betty Davis being this um, spinster who everyone makes fun of and yeah um, has no will. And then she's sort of transformed and she's on this cruise and falls in love. And in the final piece, she's... Doing some weird things, yeah. <laughs> with her, you know, uh, becoming adoptive parent to her lover's child, child, in ways child. I think are probably not healthy for that child. <laughs> yeah, and in ways that are like bizarre that it got past the um, psychiatrist. Oh, all, all, all of it. Oh, yeah, yeah all we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, um, so I have some trivia about this, and some of it overlaps a little bit with biographical information about Betty Davis, but I think uh-huh. probably most people know that she had a reputation for being sort of difficult and dramatic. Yeah. Um, so this was the biggest box office hit of her career, huh. which is saying something because I had never heard of this movie before we watched <laughs> it. Um, uh, with your comparison to Casablanca... The filming for this movie was right up against the filming for Casablanca, and the filming for Now Voyager ran over, um, and that also starred Claude Rains and Paul Henried. And Rains had to finish working on this movie on June third, nineteen forty-two, and his first scene in Casablanca was at ten thirty the next morning. Oh so there was no <laughs> gap there. There's no processing time. Um, Nell Voyager is based on a novel, and the film follows the story of that really closely. The only big difference is that in the novel, it was a Mediterranean cruise, right. and this is South American. Because they couldn't film in the Mediterranean because there was a war going on. There was on. a war. <laughs> um, so the sanitarium where Charlotte is treated was based on... Um, a real place called the Austin Rig Center in Stockbridge, Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where the author 
Olive Higgins Prouty had once been treated, mm-hmm. and it was known for kind of a more humane treatment of people with mental illness. Where they um, get to play tennis. <laughs> including physical activity, occupational therapy, daily talk therapy, um, and they didn't use treatments like lobotomies, which was actually pretty common at the time for mental illness. Um, Paul Henry's act of lighting two cigarettes at once was a huge sensation, and he was basically mobbed wherever he went by women asking him to do that for them, <laughs> which I read that, you know, after seeing the movie, and I totally get it. Like, yeah, I, it's pretty sexy. Yeah, it was pretty great. So I remember hearing about or reading about that that sexy act in, like, the histories of filming of, um, Casablanca because it, it so marked him as, like, a... Like a sexy actor this this thing that he did but I had I completely forgot all about it until I think the second time he did it in the movie and I was like I, I know about this thing <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think in the movie they did it one too many times yeah, like, like the final time they did it I was like okay <laughs> this is too much because if they had just done it I think it was they did it three times if they had done it twice it would have been perfect yeah um, well, and there's some dispute over who created that idea, right? That act. That... Well, there was an earlier film that did it, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I read. I don't have that in my notes, but I think there was a 1930s film where they did that. that. But a lot of people think that this movie made it. Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere that um, Betty Davis and Paul Henry, when it got famous as a like a, when it was sensational, they they came up with a story that they the two of them together backstage devised the that like thing between them. But um, the early version of the script actually has it written in there as something that um, they were supposed to do. So, so that was just a lie. That's right. <laughs> trying to take all the credit. Uh, the comic scene with Giuseppe, the cab driver, which we'll get into. <laughs> that went on for hours. Um, the the basis for the comedy is that they Jerry and Charlotte don't speak Portuguese, and this Portuguese cab driver doesn't speak English. But the actor who played Giuseppe, Frank Pugley, I don't know how to say mm-hmm. his name, but he is actually Sicilian, so he wasn't even speaking Portuguese. He was speaking just some, like, weird combination of languages that was nonsense, and he was speaking it in a Sicilian accent. So... And was he famous? Is that, like, the the explanation for why that scene went on for, like... I think he was a pretty well-known comedic actor. Uh, I think it was on for a while. It's totally unnecessary. And... Yeah, I was not a fan of that scene. Um, Final piece of trivia. The Walt Whitman poem that Betty Davis reads just before she leaves the sanitarium is The Untold Want from Songs of Parting. Uh, And the lines are, The untold want by life and land ne'er granted. Now Voyager sailed out forth to seek and find. Because she read it in the movie and I was like, what was that? (laughs) What did the words say? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, uh, this was not... I didn't write this down, but um, the director of this movie supposedly worked well with Betty Davis because he had a really soft touch with her and just kept saying, like, 
what do you think if we tried it this way or like see if this works for you instead of telling her what to do so she actually ended up um having almost like a directorial role in the movie because she just did what she wanted a lot (laughs) since he was not very aggressive with her yeah and she liked that Oh, I'm sure she did. Um, <laughs> what can, what else can you say about um, um, Betty Davis? Yeah, about Betty Davis. <laughs> about this woman we were just talking about. A lot. I, I, I will, I, there's so much about her. And I mean, she's pretty famous, so people probably know her reputation. But. Although I think this is maybe the first movie I've seen with her in it. Interesting. Maybe the second. I don't know. Uh, the thing I was struck by her the most in this movie was just that she is such an incredible actress. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the leads for movies in this time, they're like beautiful people and they're playing sort of some version of themselves mm-hmm. or it's like not too much of a stretch, but she, you could tell, like she had chops. Yeah. Um well, especially because, I mean, it's especially evident because she's playing basically three different characters in three <laughs> different movies. <laughs> so, she was born Ruth Elizabeth Davis in 1908 in Lowell, Massachusetts. And her parents separated when she was young, and she eventually moved with her mother to New York. And her mother worked as a portrait photographer, so she was sort mm. of around the arts. Um, as a young woman, she began performing on the stage, and she started out in Philadelphia, Washington, Boston, finally made it to Broadway. And then in 1930, she and her mother moved to Hollywood so that Davis could pursue film acting. Um, she wasn't a big hit right away. She got a short-term contract with Universal and appeared in Bad Sister in 1931. And that was her first film role, but she was nervous and lacked confidence and hmm. you know she did a couple other movies after that in the next year but none of them were very successful and she was actually thinking about returning to New York and just giving up the film idea she got the lead however in The Man Who Played God a Warner Brothers film and that film launched her as a star so she got her big break like right as she was hmm. thinking about leaving the business Uh, Then she signed with Warner Brothers and remained with them for the next 18 years, starring in some of their highest-grossing movies from that time. Um, Contrary to many actresses of her day, Davis was willing to play unsympathetic, sardonic characters, such as her roles in Of Human Bondage and Marked Woman, and she was reputed for her performances in a range of genres. So she did everything. She did crime, films, period dramas comedies and romantic dramas and until the late 1940s she was one of American cinema's most celebrated leading ladies known for her forceful and intense style (laughs) she gained a reputation as a perfectionist who could be highly combative and confrontational often clashing with studio executives and film directors as well as many of her co-stars her forthright manner, clipped vocal style, and ubiquitous cigarette contributed to a public persona. And I think that's kind of like the reputation she has as being like this very dramatic, yeah. volatile person. Um, Davis broke a lot of gender barriers. She was very involved with the war effort during World War II, and she co-founded the Hollywood Canteen. Um, and she oh. sold like an incredible amount of Liberty Bonds. She was the first female president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. 
Um, she was the first person to be nominated for 10 times for acting, and she won the Academy Award for Best Actress twice for her roles in Dangerous and Jezebel. And she was also the first woman to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Film Institute. And she continued acting. Um, she did more television later in life, but she kept acting until shortly before her death from breast cancer in 1989. Okay. So, yeah, seems like a force of a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share about our male lead? Our, our, our handsome male lead? Um, so, Paul and Reed um, is primarily known for two roles, Victor Laszlo in Casablanca and Jerry Durrance in Now Voyager, both of which were released in 1942. Um, and um, he was born Paul George Julius von Hernried, uh, or Paul George Julius um, Hernried von Vasel Waldingau in the city of Trieste, um, which is now in Italy, but was at the time when he was born in 1908, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, and his um, his parents, or his father was a Viennese banker um, who served as a financial advisor to um, the Emperor Franz Joseph, but he died um, when um, Paul was um, young and um, they lost all of their fortune um, by the time he graduated from high school. Um, but he trained for theater in, um, in Vienna um, against his family's wishes, um, and then started his film career in German films in the 1930s, but he was known for being strongly anti-Nazi, um, and he was officially designated as an enemy of the Third Reich, which is sort of wow. great. Um, he moved to England in 1937 and um, played Prince Albert in, um, in a play that year. Um, and um, with the outbreak of World War II, he, um, he risked, um, he, there was some personal risk involved in staying in England because he was an enemy alien. Um, but he was allowed to stay and, and work in England's film industry. Um, he um, he a few years later moved to um, uh, New York to do theater, um, and um, after a successful run um, in New York, he um, RKO put him under contract in 1941, um, and it was RKO that changed his name from von Hernried um, to the simpler and less overtly Germanic. Henry. That's not really hiding. No, it, though. <laughs> uh, you know, sort of less German. Um, he also that year in 1941, he became a citizen of the United States. Um, he was known for playing uh, characters with sort of mysterious um, ethnic backgrounds somewhere in from Europe, um, and he made regular film appearance appearances throughout the 1940s, um, but was blacklisted after protesting against the actions of the House Committee of Un-American Activities, along with Lauren Bacall and, and Humphrey Bogart. Um, but he, he continued acting throughout the 40s. Um, in the 50s, he began directing, both for film and um, television, um, both very low-budget and higher-budget um, uh, for for TV, he directed for things like the Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Maverick, Bonanza, and The Big Valley. So some sort of like Western, mm -hmm. which is sort of funny. 
Um, and in 1964, he directed um, Dead Ringer, which starred Betty Davis, and um, and his daughter also had a minor role. Um, he died um, in 1992 um, of pneumonia at the age of 84, um, and he actually has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for film and one for television, which is really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds like he was on the right side of history yeah. <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah, he was one of those rare, I re was reading somewhere that he was one of those rare um, uh, like German-sounding actors who wasn't um, cast as like the evil, evil Nazi. Yeah. Like with the guy who plays um, um, uh, Strasser in Casablanca apparently um, like insisted on playing um, evil Nazis just because he because uh, he could and he wanted to make the point that Nazis were evil. But Paul Henry didn't choose to do that. It's <laughs> so. like uh, Peter Lorre. Yeah, just typecast yeah. <laughs> forever. That's right. Um, um, it's interesting because he must have grown up speaking German and I, it sounded like he had an accent in the movie but yeah. he never addressed it Yeah, yes, which I think was uh, apparently, I was reading somewhere else that that's the case in a lot of his movies where he has like an accent and they just sort of explain it either, either they don't address it or they explain it just like very briefly and they're like oh yes he's I thought it, I couldn't tell that it was a German accent actually. Yeah. Although with his name, I thought maybe he was Dutch, but yeah. um, but it made the character I thought even more appealing. Yeah. So should we talk about it? What were your general thoughts? Um, as maybe the strangest, most perverse, like most sexually repressed. <laughs> um pro-therapy movie I have ever seen. <laughs> like, we, which, I don't know. I mean, it was, I went into it having seen Casablanca um, like a dozen times maybe. And so the, the like, the parallels between Casablanca and, and this were fairly obvious to me down to like, you know, the music being very similar with some of the same songs mm -hmm. in the background, which I guess are just like popular songs from 1942, but um, just the tone of it um, seemed very similar. Um, and I was surprised by sort of, you know, the, the psychiatric, the pro-psychiatric, pro-like psycho psychology um, themes of the movie just that, you know, like, she would openly go to see the psychiatrist and openly go to the sanitarium on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, I liked that. I, I wrote in my notes, these early movies are obsessed with psychology, yeah. but it could just be the, the ones we've been watching. <laughs> Spellbound <laughs> in now Voyager. Um, I, I liked it a lot, except for the last third. The yeah. last third I was not crazy about with the daughter and all that really strange stuff happening but just the arc of um a daughter who is really controlled by her mother um gaining agency and stepping out and becoming her own person I thought was really great um and especially for this time I thought that was you know a positive theme I didn't like how much of it 
was based on her having to be good looking and gregarious if that wasn't natural to her but I think probably for that time they just didn't they didn't uh, think of another way to do that (laughs) it's the only way to do it Um, I thought the romance was great between the two of them they had great chemistry yeah. and at, at first I was very confused like when she met him on the ship and they were spending a lot of time together I kept thinking is this going to be a trick is he going to you know try to seduce her but it's not going to work out because he's married or something like that so I was kind of surprised when it was they were just like oh yeah we're in love with each other but we can't ever be together yeah um, well, and it was surprising too that there was such a, you know, that in when they're on the boat and they're falling in love, he's just like so forthcoming and saying like, you know, like he says at some point, you don't have a very high opinion of yourself, and I don't really understand why, and I like, but like at the same time, I also trust you and believe that like whatever your reason is, it's valid, and you know, yeah. and I love you anyway, and. Um, you know, and here, have this cigarette. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, like, he really wants her to be happy, even, you know, even if he can't be a part of it, he just wants her to be happy, which is sort of, like, surprisingly, like, pro-independent woman, I guess, like you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> what decade is this movie <laughs> happening in? I did find it a little far-fetched that when they were on the boat and she kept acting so weird that he would still like her and keep pursuing her. Yeah. Like, she kept running away and saying weird things and, like, spontaneously bursting into tears. And those are not the kind of things that usually are attractive to another right. person. Right, to a person you don't, like, as to a stranger. Yeah, <laughs> like, a friend would probably be supportive, but she didn't really know him very well. Mm. Um, I didn't really understand why... They couldn't be together like why he couldn't get divorced and then they could be together yeah yeah that was never clear because people got divorced in the, in the 1940s yes. there's, there's plenty of movies about it yeah. um, <laughs> I also didn't understand were they supposed to have consummated the relationship when they were in Brazil because they remember she was supposed to fly right. to meet the boat and he was like stay a couple more days right and I didn't know if that was implied or not. Right, it was hard to tell. I mean, like when they're staying in the in the shack, and they like are cozy up, cozying up in the shack, and then they like it switches to the to the fire, and then comes back, and they're just like huddled up next to each other, and he kisses her, and that's it. Yeah, because she's already asleep. Um, seems to be the only reference like that's the only thing that we're supposed to have understood to have happened I guess but I also thought as much as I found him incredibly charming and appealing in this movie that if he was really trying to do the right thing by her and he was never going to leave his wife that he should not have been like making declarations and stuff right and he shouldn't have been like, oh, this is our child. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, that was no, really messed no, up. Like, this is a child you have with another woman. <laughs> yes. Um, with I your wife who apparently doesn't care what happens to her younger daughter, even if she's unwanted. How about it was such a coincidence? Like, oh, she's unwanted just like I was. Yeah. Which, do you think that that is... Do you think that was part of his appeal to her? 
that like he had a daughter that and if he, he was did, clearly that's... on he was on the daughter's side I mean yeah. it's a little bit per- I mean it's very perverse it's like Freudian yeah um well that could be I didn't think of that when I was watching it I thought of it more like she's projecting her own experience onto this person and yeah. he's just following the story because you know she just assumed that and she didn't know yeah. this, what was the daughter's name Tina, Tina. yeah super annoying <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know about that. That last part was very strange, and that, I didn't. As much as I like romantic movies where people don't end up together, it's probably my favorite genre of romantic movies. <laughs> but I, I did not like that theme of, you know, she was so late to have any kind of experiences, and then she falls in love with this guy. She can't have him. Yeah. And then she basically just decides, like, I'm just never going to have a relationship. Or, you know, basically I'm just going to be faithful to this person that I can't have. Right. And I didn't like that. Because I thought, you know, you spent so many years being repressed, and you're clearly... Like, you could tell she was a passionate person. Yeah. And... I don't think you have to remain loyal to this person who really put you in a bad position. Right. And then just... And acknowledges that he put you in a bad position. So, like, move on. I didn't like when he showed up again and she was engaged. I wrote, what does Jerry want from her when he's married? Why shouldn't she marry someone else? Which I guess he does say, like, you know, he's supposed to come and then he doesn't come and he calls from the, the train station to say, like, I'm getting on the midnight train... And I'm, you should get married to this guy and, you know. Also, I mean, not that I'm endorsing this sort of thing, but they could have very easily, like, had an affair or, like, she could have been more like his mistress. Yeah. If the, I mean, I know they would never have done that in this movie, but... Yeah. Think, well, and I guess there's some, like, implication that that's basically what's going to happen, that he's, like, having this, like, shadow family where his, like... His younger daughter is no longer the daughter of his wife. It's the daughter of his mistress. And so they have this, like, pretend family. I thought that was so... And imagine if you were that child and you grow up with that situation and then find out the truth. Like, how messed up would you be? Right. That, like, your mother doesn't want you, but your dad loves you and puts you in a sanitarium, recommended to him by his lover, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then your his lover shows up at the sanitarium again and knows who you are, and and, and for some reason the psychiatrist allows yeah, you to like, just sure, take her. That's fine. <laughs> and the the only caveat is that she can't lose her mind again. Is <laughs> I thought that's that just that sort was, of like like thrown uh, in there. That was so messed up. Yeah, that whole. I, if it had just ended with them not being able to be together at the end of the cruise, maybe they see each other. I would have been like cool right great movie <laughs> right or then he like she like ends up at the sanitarium at the same time as the daughter and there's like a brief scene of yeah. like her being kind to the daughter yeah. but you know and then knowing that there's no way that they're ever going to be together and that weird but that like the camping scene and that the, was so weird and it and my, like, child services bell was going off. Like, there's, there's a young child off camping with an adult that they're not related to. And, like, that person doesn't have the authority. And they're in the woods. And I was like, is this child safe? No. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> um, 
So I also wrote that Giuseppe character seems racist. Yes. <laughs> so that, yeah, I agreed with you that that scene was way too long and ridiculous. Yeah, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, maybe that was a real hoot when this movie came out. What did you think about the mother? About Betty Davis's uh, character's mother? I wrote that she was a fright. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she. I thought she was really good in the role. Yeah, and it was that was such cruelty. Yeah, the way she and even when she came back from the cruise and her mother was like, "You're gonna wear this dress and you're gonna start wearing your glasses again." And you were like every possible way she could take away Charlotte's own willpower, she did it. Yeah. And I also didn't understand, like. If you're following their explanation for why the mother did not love her, which is that she was like a late in life child and a burden and all that, why would you want to keep the, her with you? Wouldn't you be like, fly the nest? Yeah, right. Get out of here. Leave yeah. me alone. But um, I don't. I mean, the only explanation for that, with the information we're giving, is that she just like purposefully was trying to ruin her life. Yeah, and was like, you ruined my life, so I'm so I'm going to make you ruin... I'm going to ruin yours, and you're going to have to be responsible for me and take care of me in my old age and, like, be the devoted daughter. And complete the devoted daughter's duties, which was like, I... <laughs> feel very grateful for my parents. <laughs> um, I kind of liked the relationship between... Charlotte and her sister-in-law. Her sister-in-law seemed to be the only person who actually cared about her. Yeah, except for... I, I feel very conflicted about that character because, like, yes, the sister-in-law is the one who, like, goes and gets the, the best psychiatrist in the country to come talk to Charlotte, but she also doesn't do anything when her, like, teenage daughter is being totally oh, yeah. cruel to her. And it's sort of like... I mean, maybe she's in between a rock and a hard place, and there's only so much she can do. But, like, on the other hand, it, like, it's your kid being a jerk. And Yes, she was so mean. I I hated her. I wrote something down about what a horrible person she was, but um, that was just unacceptable. And I hate... I mean, that's something... I think everyone can relate to you see that sometimes like with a friend or acquaintance or something you'll suddenly see them around their family and there's yeah. just this like casual viciousness that's mm-hmm. exchanged and like the people in the family probably don't even realize it because they're so used to it but it's so yeah. striking and horrifying beautiful girl you're a lovely picture beautiful girl you're a gorgeous mixture of all that lies she was horrible. I did like I wrote I liked her see-through raincoat. That maze. The fashion in this movie was amazing. It was so good. <laughs> oh my god. It was unbelievable. I wrote down Betty Davis looks fabulous in every scene and maybe my new style icon. <laughs> yeah. I mean that so when she comes back and she her mother says you're going to wear that, you know, that ugly foulard dress. Um, and she says, no, I'm not wearing that. And instead puts on that that stunning black dress with a plunging neckline. And the and long the, sleeves. The long sleeves. The like, and then pins the gigantic camellia on her, like it, like in the front of her bodice or whatever. Which is something that I would, you know, I was waiting to see where she's going to put this flower out of this dress. And then that's right <laughs> there. And 
It's so like stunning. I just thought the fashion in general was fantastic. The scene where you first see her on the boat too yeah. with the wide brimmed hat, yeah. which I read was a very conscious choice um, on the part of the um, costume designers. So like she's still, her face is kind of hidden until the last second. Yeah. She had the impractical shoes. Uh, she just looked great in everything. She yeah. had a lot of those like strong shoulders yeah. and then like a really nipped in waist. Yeah. She was um, totally nailing it. She was fantastic and I want all of her clothes. Oh, there's that one that, that when they were first on the boat and they're like meeting for cocktails and then they run into his friends. Do you remember that? Where mm-hmm. they're. Um, I forget what their, their characters' names are, but it's his friends from some other, some from you know his like home life basically, and um, she's Betty Davis's character is beautifully dressed, and um, and Paul Henry is wearing like a tux or whatever, and then these friends come in and she's basically wearing a, like a sundress, and which I mean seems like the kind of thing that I would wear on on a like a cruise, mm-hmm. but it seemed like strangely inconsistent um sort of not appropriate for the setting yeah yeah it did make me think like cruises in those days compared to now like people really dressed yeah and now it's just like everyone's wearing fanny packs and stuff right. on cruises <laughs> like if they don't have to dress up they won't yeah I just she was amazing they, I thought this movie also made smoking look really sexy and cool yeah. which I know is like not totally wrong not good to say but <laughs> it, it did yeah oh yeah I totally agree um and I guess that was kind of like almost an accessory for her yeah um I also wrote this passes the Bechdel test like whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I guess that is the good thing about the like the scenes with the daughter. <laughs> and her and the mother. That's true. Yeah. And and the, like... And the sister-in-law. Yeah, this... The... Aside from the um, romance, all the other strong relationships in the movie were between two women. Yeah. And so. psychiatrists. Yes. For everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. But we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world. Do you think that there's a, um, a social justice element to this movie? Um, not explicitly, but I agree with you that it did have a very kind take on mental illness. Yeah. And people were fairly no-nonsense about the fact that she was going away to basically a mental institution and it it looked like they were being treated pretty well there yeah so yeah well it's interesting that the author of the book went to the sanitarium and so it's like based on her own experience and so i guess she would be she would be inclined to make it seem like a good experience i also thought that it it was Interesting when basically when Charlotte comes back from the cruise and the whole transformation and she looks fabulous and she goes back into her old life, 
she kind of rose above the bad treatment that everyone gave her. Like, she didn't respond by lashing out, like, I have my new life now, and I hate you, and you're terrible. She still treated people with um, a lot of kindness in her life, which... I, I don't know if that's social justice, but it, I thought it was in, an interesting choice because I could have seen her going in guns blazing, like, Mom, yeah. you ruined my life. Yeah. I'm done with you. Like, yeah, like, I don't need no one with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even, like, with the niece, who was horrible, she yeah. was then nice to the niece and they were good friends and um, showed a lot more fortitude than I probably would have had in that situation. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if that's a good message or not. I guess sometimes it's healthy to sort of get angry, but um, she did, like, really take the high road. Yeah. Um, I This movie, I thought about it a lot. Like, it really... Yeah. I feel like this is the kind of movie that's going to stick with me. Yeah. Even as strange and weird as it is. At the at the bottom of my notes, I wrote what question mark exclamation point that's the end question. Mark. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah. liked when she talked about when she said to take is to give. Oh yeah, that was beautiful, and that you know that sometimes like. Without even knowing it, you you are giving just by taking. Yeah, like letting someone do something for you is can sometimes be a way of giving. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't particularly like it applied to this whole weird child <laughs> yeah, scenario. But generally, <laughs> but generally, it's a in, nice idea. In theory, it seems like a great idea. <laughs> Not when child welfare is involved, but no. although who knows? You know, we don't know the kid's point of view. Maybe her mother beat her or like locked her in a closet or just like never like didn't love her at all and so this works out well for her it's still weird though totally weird it's really weird yeah so what rating would you give this um I probably would give it a three because the acting was excellent but the I thought some of the editing and the, like, camera work was really uneven, and, like, the passage of time was uneven, and that, like, weird Giuseppe scene was (laughs) kind of strange. Um, But, you know, on the other hand, the clothing was beautiful, and the the sets were beautiful, and um, so, yeah, so I would say, like, a three. I would give it a three. I agree. I would give it a three. I mean, the I liked a lot of the. I liked two thirds of the storyline, right. and I agree that the <laughs> acting was really great. Yeah. Um, Betty Davis was just fantastic. So it makes me want to watch more movies with her. Yeah. Like one of the ones where she plays like a conniving prostitute or something like that just to see a different side yeah. it's not our next movie it can be our movie after that too. yes what is our next movie so our next movie is swing time because we're in the mood for musicals and we have somehow failed to do a fred astaire ginger rogers yeah. flick yet because we are horrible we are and we greatly apologize <laughs> 
<laughs> so until next time, thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.